Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Jack Harper and Sean Shute. Keenan Bonner will be joining us probably within the next 10 minutes if uh, all goes to plan. The matchup we'll be getting into today is 1985's Back to the Future versus 1999's The Mummy. This matchup determines who will face the bottom seed True Romance in round two and go a step closer to being crowned the best adventure movie ever, in our opinion, before anyone uh, gets on our back. Um, quick thing to say now for those that don't listen on a Monday night. Originally, this was going to be Back to the Future 2. Not throwing dirt on your name, shoot. We, we learned this week um, you haven't actually seen Back to the Future 1. And so for as good as Back to the Future 2 is, um, mine and Jack's favourite, um, a lot of the references, the in-jokes... <laughs> You, you wouldn't pick up on so I think there's a bit more to talk about in the second one but it doesn't matter <laughs> there's no point talking about it if you aren't getting what's going on so well, back to the future I not exactly a poor one to fall back on we should do was, a very pod for back to the future too I think we may do or just dedicated specifically for or can come in as a wild card well yeah maybe um, also I'll just say now we'll rehash this at the end also coming out tomorrow, there will be an interview with Jeffrey Weissman, who plays George McFly in Back to the Future 2. Uh, Sean, you have essentially spat on that interview um, by <laughs> not having seen the second, but still a great guy. Great still interview. A re- um, still a relevant interview. It is a relevant interview, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, the, it's the first person me and Jack have spoken to has actually taken over the screen and given us some behind-the-scenes footage that you can't find anywhere else. So we've been treated there. And uh, so if you are listening on Spotify, there's maybe one to take yourself over to YouTube for. Well, I was just thinking then, like, as you mentioned it, you, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it, but it, it, I mean, it could well have been uh, Back to Future 2 versus The Mummy 2. And that could have possibly we'll, been a good pod. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, <laughs> because I've spoken to each of you separately um, I think we could have another role model situation on our hands, but we'll get there for sure. We'll start with Back to the Future, the highest seed in this scenario. So, synopsis. Marty McFly, a 17-year-old high school student, is accidentally sent 30 years into the past in a time-travelling DeLorean invented by his close friend, the eccentric scientist Doc Brown. Now, Sean, I won't ask for too much of an opinion yet, but going into the film, I don't know if this is accurate, I got the sense you weren't sure if you were going to enjoy it. Uh, yeah, that is, that would be true. Yeah, uh, and I don't, and I don't really know why. There are just some films that maybe, maybe it is that kind of thing where it's I thought like that was Point Break last season. Yeah, it's been around for ages, and you haven't seen it. You, you kind of naturally build up this resistance to it. I think so. Yeah, you are right. I did, I did feel that going into it. We'll get your uh, kind of overall opinion a bit later. Um... I know Keenan went into it with a similar mindset. Um, I don't need to say mine and Jack's again. So the critics' reviews, uh, in most cases, I'd ask you if you're expecting good or bad reviews. 
if I tell you that these are some of the highest ratings I've ever seen on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it's got a 96% um, and 94% for the audience and the meter. Nice. I've never seen anything that high. For obvious reasons. Yeah, I mean, reviews then. So, by far one of the most competent time travel movies ever made, addressing even the most common loopholes with pitfalls. Uh, it's the perfect package of entertainment, drama, comedy, excitement and heart wrapped up in special effects that still look convincing. Got a bit on the special effects to get into a, a bit later, so uh, we'll hold fire there. Back to the Future is the best comic strip movie I've seen this year. It's well-made, light-hearted, and is exactly the right length to give you excitement. Um, hell of a phrase. Laughs and a few surprises. And then it's over, leaving you feeling good. Um, <laughs> did this have the right length to give you excitement, Sean? Um, Zemeckis and Gale have given the movie a core of feeling that makes real claims on us for all its comedy Back to the Future is about a kid coming to terms with his parents inadequacies a moment familiar to everyone and the fulcrum in growing up the humour, the pathos, the tension even the booming soundtrack all conspire to ensure that the tale of a teenager travelling 30 years to ensure his parents meet and ultimately mate can, given its vintage, now be fairly described as a classic. Only a couple more. Uh, undeniably one of the greatest films of the 1980s, and indeed of all time. Back to the Future has endured so well, because it walks that fine tightrope of managing to appeal to just about everyone. I think that is exactly right. I think they explain a lot of the time travel loopholes, like we said in the review before, but without making it boring. Yeah. You know, some films can get really tedious when they over explain things or whatever they just have it like off the cuff and you kind of just roll with it and it's yeah. that fun and bouncy that you manage to just roll with okay that that explains that let's have some more fun that's essentially what this film is uh back to the future is one of the best popcorn movie best popcorn movies ever made its ingenuity time traveling twist-ups and wonderfully vibrant characters resonate in ways few films ever achieve and finally to put it bluntly, if you don't like Back to the Future, it's difficult to believe that you like films at all. <laughs> That's a, the best way to sum it up. I said that to Keenan yesterday in that review. He, he wasn't convinced, although I'm, I'm pretty certain he does like the films. So. <laughs> um, there, there's plenty of trivia. Um, as always, just jump in and cut me off as and when. Um, I do have kind of a selection of talking points at the end, which kind of... Yeah cover some of these in more detail kind of as we i know uh, you were on last week jack but kind of as we did last week mm-hmm. um the back to the future script was rejected 40 times before universal bought it disney declined after saying it was a movie about incest referring to the 1955 scene in which marty kisses the 18 year old version of his mother it didn't however seem to stop disney from buying the star wars films in which siblings luke and leia share a kiss <laughs> disney missed out there um <laughs> In early drafts of Back to the Future, and there were many, the time the time machine was a refrigerator, a gag that George Lucas and Steve Spielberg finally got to use years later to much mockery in the final Indiana Jones movie. I was just thinking of that. Um, after tinkering with the idea, writer Bob Gale realised he hit gold when he decided DeLorean should be a time machine, especially given the car's troubled history and the, and the car maker's even more troubled history. 
uh, John DeLorean, um, who actually wrote them a thank you note and sent them another DeLorean, uh, was busted in 1982 in a $24 million cocaine deal. Um, once filming began, Universal's product placement team got an offer from Ford that would have paid seventy-five grand, equivalent to about one hundred and seventy-one grand today, um, if they'd switched the time machine to a Ford Mustang. Um, Bob Gale's response was, uh, "Doc Brown doesn't drive a fucking Mustang." <laughs> it's so good though because the car is so iconic. It's one of the most iconic things about the film. And yeah, the, the refrigerator, I think. Yeah, that would be that would. Like, can you imagine, like, going back in time to fucking Indeset or well, something like that? The, the script was projected 40 times, and um, I don't think this needs saying to you, but for just anyone kind of listening and maybe not aware, that isn't the final script. So some of these times when it was projected, then it was a fridge, then <laughs> it was mm-hmm. a Ford, whatever. So these tiny tweaks it took, and there's some kind of pieces here where they say, this was like the most heavily scrutinized script they say in probably history at the time down to every word they say there's there's not a word wasted in this film and so every little detail it probably works out to give us the film that we get now yeah. um eric stoltz the guy who uh, plunges the adrenaline into uma thurman's heart in pulp fiction was the original marty mcfly um so i don't know if if you know this story so Essentially, they go to Michael J. Fox first. He's filming a sitcom called Twin Families. Um, they basically say, the, the people that were filming it, their other main star at the time, I don't have her name down, is off on well, maternity leave, essentially. She's pregnant, um, and they don't want her on screen for that side of the times, maybe. So they ship her away. They say, look, we need Michael J. Fox. <clears throat> the TV studio won't allow him to leave they say we can't afford to lose you at this time so studio says okay all right goes elsewhere they hire this guy eric stoltz who i mean look at his career he's got a decent enough acting career but they say he was just so serious and for a film like this it's pretty integral that you have a sense of humor that you have the comic timing yeah so they actually filmed six weeks with this guy, Eric Stoltz. <laughs> Nobody on set liked him, really, apart from Leah Thompson, because they knew each other previously. They say he was trying the whole method acting thing, which I've said my thoughts on before. He refused to answer anyone on set unless they called him Marty. Um, he, uh, the guy that played uh, Biff, his name escapes me, uh, Thomas Wilson, he nearly broke his collarbone getting too rough in some of the like fight scenes that they were doing. Basically nobody liked him. And uh, they were called into a room to say, and they all thought the film was being shut down, but they were basically telling him that Eric Stoltz had been fired and they were all over the moon because <laughs> nobody liked him. So they then stump up. They have to pay 4 million to get Michael J. Fox in and to do the reshoots. But I guess you'd say now worth every penny. Yeah, I think I think so because I'm trying to imagine that film without Michael J. Fox, and I just can't. Him well, and Doc Brown just iconic. I'm going to tell you a little further down the line, the guys that they were after before they got to Eric Stoltz. Some I think would have worked, but I'll wait till we get there. Um, 
At the start of the movie, when Doc shows Marty the DeLorean for the first time, the whole scene takes place at Twin Pines Mall. Uh, if you didn't notice this, at the end, when Doc is saved because of the bulletproof vest, it's called Lone Pine Mall because yeah. uh, Marty mows down the tree when he first goes in uh, into the past. Um, it's always deemed strange that when Marty dressed in his uh, Darth Vader costume, as he calls it, um, he puts the headphones in George McFly's ears and the cassette that he's used uh, is labelled Edward Van Halen and yeah. there was a lot of confusion at the time why wouldn't they just kind of put Van Halen because the band name didn't change in the past and essentially the band denied the rights to use it but Eddie Van Halen himself liked the sound of the film he snuck away did a couple of guitar riffs for them that they were on board with and so that's why it's just called Eddie Van Halen on the uh, cassette, because it is quite literally just him. That's brilliant. He didn't admit it till years later as well. So I don't know if there was just some like secret haters of sci-fi films or <laughs> what was going on. In 2010, during a cast reunion, Michael J. Fox said that strangers still call him McFly. He said the most remarkable instance was when he was in a remote jungle in the South Asian country Bhutan, located between China and India in the eastern Himalayas. He said a group of Buddhist monks passed him and one of them stopped, pointed at him and said, Marty McFly. That's unreal. <laughs> Hello, anyone home, McFly? <laughs> this catchphrase is... Do you reckon anyone's called him a chicken? I don't know how many times I'm I... sure he's probably sick of it. <laughs> um, this catchphrase is, make like a tree and get out of here, and butthead were improvised by Thomas F. Wilson. Uh, <laughs> and... Ronald Reagan was so amused by Doc Brown's disbelief that an actor like him could become president that when watching it in his theatre, he actually made the projectionist stop and replay the scene because he enjoyed it that much. Um, further down the line, in his 1986 State of the Union address, he is quoted as saying, as they said in the film Back to the Future, where we're going, we don't need roads. Oh, that's unbelievable. Putting <laughs> so that in good. a state of the union. <laughs> that's so uh, Claudia Wells, who plays Jennifer Parker in Back to the Future, gave up her role to Olivia Shue for part two and part three when her mother was diagnosed with cancer. So back then, people would... Uh, you'd have been convinced that she was going to be a star. I mean, obviously a dime just watching the film. And then this is supposed to be a big break and doesn't quite happen. She doesn't return to acting until 2006. Anything big on her return? No, no. Um, we'll change that opinion though. She does accept the interview request and uh, mm. we'll be big fans of everything else she's done. <laughs> Keenan, lovely to have you with us. Nice to be here, mate. Apologies for being slightly late. That's all right. You've missed a bit of trivia, but... Um, we haven't really got down into the breaking down of the film we did say which we'll get into that i think you and sean were a bit hesitant before the film as to whether you'd like it and uh we're going to get into your opinions on that yeah okay um according to bob gale on october 26 1985 a group of people showed up at the mall used to film the twin pines mall location to see if marty would arrive in the delorean uh he of course did not (laughs) <laughs> strange people out there <laughs> yeah. like, can you imagine the conversations about what are you doing for <laughs> night, mate 
Oh, not a lot. Try to go down to the mall where they film Back to the Future and see if someone turns up travelling through time. All these people definitely said, like, but imagine if he does as their defense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Universal Pictures head Sid Scheinberg did not like the title Back to the Future, insisting that nobody would see a movie with future in the title. In a memo to Robert Zemeckis, he said that the title should be changed to Spaceman from Pluto, tying in with Marty as, as alien jokes in the film. Um, when he says, I'm Darth Vader, he wanted him to say, I'm a spaceman from Pluto. We're still yet to see one of these name changes that actually would have been a better name. They're always absolutely horrific. <laughs> um, so in response, actually, um, Steven Spielberg sent him a memo in response saying uh, they really appreciated the joke he'd sent and that everyone got a kick out of it. And in embarrassment and not wanting to admit that he was completely serious, uh, he, he just let them keep the title because he was too proud. Nice. The inspiration for the film, Bob Gale says, is discovering his father's high school yearbook and wondering whether he would have been friends with his dad as a teenager. Um, he said that if he'd had the chance, he'd have loved to have gone back in time and see if they would be mates. And that's how he gets <laughs> back to the future. I was hoping it was kind of like when Doc Brown discovered the flux capacitor, he slipped off and smashed his head. <laughs> came up with this wonderful idea. Well, Christopher Lloyd stated that he always wanted to do one more movie in which Marty and Doc Brown time travel back to ancient Rome. <laughs> That'd be a lot harder to hide a DeLorean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I've just got this image of them having it being pulled by horses in one of those Colosseum battles. Well, the, the beauty of this one, isn't it, is that they put it in such a small town and they make no illusions as to the fact that it is tiny that they can just make these subtle changes to each little thing and it does yeah. convey the fact that they've only gone that far back. And like you just referenced with it being ancient Rome, they go far enough back that they can point out the noticeable changes without having to be too drastic. So it, yeah. it worked well that they weren't too bold. Um, Doc's distinctive hunched overlook developed when the filmmakers realised the extreme difference in height between Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox. So Michael J. Fox is five, five foot four and a half. For those that don't know, um, Lloyd is six foot one. So to compensate for the height difference, if you were to see them filming the shots, usually the Doc is like two or three feet behind Marty <laughs> and it's just the angles they put out. So it looks like it's next to it. Um, for the close-ups, uh, Lloyd would have to hunch over to appear in the same frame, which is why he looks like he's just kind of buckled over all the time. Adds to the character, though, and everything yeah. about his eccentric movements and like his sayings. Great Scott. Like, the amount of times I find <laughs> myself saying that to myself, even even now. Well, I mentioned some of the, um, that we get some casting what-ifs. This wasn't even close, but According to Bob Gale, a little-known actor named Johnny Depp auditioned for the role of Marty McFly. He says, I looked through the notes and I said, geez, I don't even remember that we read Johnny Depp. So whatever he did, it wasn't all that memorable, I guess. Um, at this point, he'd only done Nightmare on Elm Street, if you, whether you knew he was in that or not. made point to that stage of his career. So I've Johnny seen Depp lot, could have I've been seen, Marty McFly. I have seen a lot of early Depp films. And... It's, it's funny because you look back on it now, the star he is, and you look back on these performances and some of the films you were in back then, it's like, what? Are these the same person? He wouldn't have been Martin McFly, would he? No, he wouldn't have been that, no. Um, 
The film was banned in China mainland for a while because the notion of time travel disrespects history. <laughs> the ban has now been lifted. Um, the test audience, when this was initially screened, they weren't told that it was intended to be a comedy. So Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale say that the atmosphere in the cinema was really weird during the scene when Einstein and the dog's being sent through time because the audience were expecting that something gruesome was going to happen to the dog, not that he was going to come back completely fine. I don't know how you get to be one of these people in test screeners. It seems like such a great thing to be able to do. I know. It's going to ruin all the films for everyone. And just give you little bits of feedback in, and you're golden. Because, um, yeah, you'd be able to give the feedback, and then if it made it to the final cut, your little bit of feedback, you could watch that film I think, yeah. I did that. <laughs> that was because that was of me. Uh, from the day the film wrapped to the day it was released was only nine and a half weeks, which is unprecedented um, for a major movie release. That's incredible. They, they, only ha- they only used 30 special effects in this film. Like, it's hardly anything. If we compare it to The Mummy, there's over 300. I think you so, see that, though, don't you? Because I, I don't know if they've done this, but I imagine in the back of their mind, they've probably had this thought where they want it to seem timeless. But obviously with little bits thrown in here and there because you you watch it back now and it doesn't feel dated like no. there's a few bits that might feel a little bit yeah. better, we'll get into better. some of that some but, of it is very dated but the, the actual like when the car goes back in time in the tire tracks and things like that looks the biz still we always kind of talk about like video games and having skill points to spend and things like that the way they've spent the points in this case for the effects is great because they've used probably like half of their like bar of points on the DeLorean flying through space at the end, uh, flying through the air at the end when it rolls the wheels up. Yeah. So they used it well for the effects that they did use. 100%. And you feel like they didn't overdo it. Whereas no. if we're contrasting it to The Mummy, I feel like... That they definitely did overdo it a little. Well, bit. even as the films go on, they they use slightly more effects as it goes on. This is kind of the most conservative they've been, which I, I guess always the, happens when you get your foot in the door. The most noticeable effect that has changed through time is electricity or lightning effects. I don't know what was going I, on. I, think I don't. Like Terminator as well, and some of the electricity <laughs> effects when they come out of thin air. Bit. I think the prosthetics, some of them have aged horribly. I mean, they put Leah Thompson in what four hours makeup for when they're having her as being old, uh, as being, um, sorry, uh, as being older at the end of the film, where it's essentially put a pillow under her top, <laughs> and they add some like stuff to her face where there's like no texture to it. So, in terms of, I know that's not really effects as such, but. That bit hasn't aged as well. That's probably the bit that's aged the worst. Yeah, I'd probably agree. Um, in tw- in April 2020, Bob Gale finally answered the, the critics' questions as to why Marty's parents don't remember him as the kid in high school who got them together. Uh, he told The Hollywood Reporter, bear in mind that George and Lorraine only knew Marty slash Calvin for eight days when they were 17. They didn't even see him every one of those eight days. So many years later, they might still remember that interesting kid who got them together on their first date. But I would ask anyone to think back on their own high school days and ask themselves how well they remember a kid who might have just been at their school for one semester 
or maybe you just went out with one time. If you have no photo reference, after 25 years, you'd probably just have a hazy recollection. So they might think it's funny that they once actually met someone named Kelvin Klein. They may think it's funny that their son at age 16 or 17 bears a resemblance to him, but it wouldn't be that much of a big deal. Do you think that's a bit of a... Yeah, this makes this makes enough sense to pass by. Yeah, I think it does. I think it's one of those it closes up the loophole nicely. And I've always wondered that myself. Always wondered that why didn't they say anything? But I, I guess they're right. I mean, there were pretty big life moments, however, which the only holes I will pick in that is that you'll remember someone your dad hitting someone with your car, and you'll remember the guy that got you and your future husband together. But apart from that, I think that does close up the loophole sufficiently. I mean, if they don't remember that, then I think Marty, I mean, he's got a number of things to forget about his mum, which we'll get on to. Does kind of gloss over the fact that the first instance he has with his dad is that he's a peeping Tom. Yeah. <laughs> we do just gloss over this. He's just up in a tree. That is definitely a sign of the times, isn't it? Because <laughs> you won't be doing that now. I mean, I, I hope not. Because um, if you have a look, I mean, um, Clint Eastwood film, Dirty Harry, he essentially starts as a peeping Tom and then goes on a murderous rampage. <laughs> if Marty hadn't intervened, George McFly could have been completely different. <laughs> Huey Lewis was asked by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale to write a song for the film. However, the two Bobs were not thrilled with the first song he came back to them with. After explaining what they were hoping for, Huey came back with Power of Love smashes it out of the park absolutely nails it doesn't it? i had no clue this was written just for back to the future i assume it's one where they probably spent half their budget on getting the tune in the song like when you told me that was the first time that i'd realized that it was written just for the film because i was thinking if it's it just fits the vibe of the film perfectly i yeah. just thought it's match made in heaven but one in the credits makes a lot more sense because they mentioned dark it's called back in time but this one for him to just come to them and like, hey, I've, I've got one for you. And they really do max it out. I mean, you've got Marty plays it through the speakers at the start of the film in Doc's house. Um, you play it over the opening scene. And if you don't know, I mean, it's not like someone that we necessarily recognise today. But in the, in the talent show, the guy that tells him, uh, I'm afraid you're just too loud, that is Huey Lewis. He just yeah. asked not to be credited. Brilliant. So uh, he got. I don't get that though. It's like if if I was doing something like that, I'd be a hundred percent asking for all the credit. I think everyone was just terrified this was going to flop seemingly, and I'm not sure it's bringing down Huey Lewis's career (laughs) if he's a cameo in a cameo role. Sean, are you there still? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. So Huey Lewis, not a familiar face for most of us. Um, Does he still get in the Rex Ryan? Uh, um, technically, I mean, it is a celebrity at the time, but is in a cameo role. I mean, I don't know. I don't think he's first ballot. <laughs> I will say, I probably have to work to get in there. I'm not. I'm not really sure. I would remind you, we do have a Michael Jordan cutout in the <laughs> Rex Ryan Hall of Fame. Yeah, but that, there's a legitimate reason for why that's in. We need um, Michael Jordan's cutout to introduce. Michael Jordan from Space Jam into the Rex Ryan Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. He can do his introductory speech like in the WWE Hall of Fame. Or well, he's, but 
Well, the issue is that Michael Jordan's probably in Space Jam a bit too much to be a cameo. But Charles Barkley... It's still Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, Einstein the dog was originally Shemp the chimp. One of those changes that probably has aged quite well. This would have just been too weird with a chimp, I think. Yeah, I think but so. Doc is, they've made him quirky enough as it is. We don't need him having a little chimp running along with him. <laughs> Please, would that change, Keenan? Would you have preferred him to have a little chimp? Not, not overly, no. Sorry, then. Um, Jack, you own a dog. Um, actually, Keenan, you do as well. Keenan will bring, will bring you in, not heard from you as much. Um, if you have a scale here, um, one end of it, you've got good dog owner. The other side, bad dog owner. Where does Doc rank on the good dog owner scale? Because he is essentially saying, I'm going to give this time of travel malarkey a go, but in case it goes badly, I'll shove my dog in the car. Oh, I feel like you've answered. <laughs> I think you've just answered your point now. <laughs> I mean, you've just, like, yeah, might die, matter fuck it, it's a dog. Is Is this why um, Einstein doesn't alert him when Libyan terrorists are hurtling towards him? Well, I mean, what can you do? I mean, the dog's probably still frozen. Poor fucking thing. It's a sign of the times, isn't it, that um, it's Libyan terrorists. Like, a couple of years later... the first things someone said to me when I was talking about the pod, when I was was watching this, they were like, (laughs) 80s film, of course, they're from Libya. I was like, I hadn't even clocked it. What? I will say we'll we'll give them the plug because I'm sure they're going to do the same to us on one of their podcasts soon. Um, they actually debated whether it was the apex mountain for Libyan terrorists on the rewatchables. And uh, Sean Fennessy pointed out that Colonel Gaddafi is still yet to come, so he's probably in the peak of Libyan terrorists. Uh, I mean, it wasn't always a terrorist, Gaddafi. I mean, I know it turned out that way, but... <laughs> he was the peak for them. Um, maybe even worse than the potential different name of the film aging badly Marty McFly was originally Marty McDermott it's just another random Irish name then is it? it I know Marty McFly sounds right because we know it as being right McDermott just doesn't sound right here Biff saying hey McDermott doesn't quite roll off the tongue the same and Michael J. Fox is only 10 days younger than Leah Thompson, who also plays his mother. And, is only three, and he's three years older than Crispin Glover. Mm-hmm. I did That's one of the first things I noticed. Is he does look old as shit in this film. Leah Thompson, uh, Zoe Deutsch's mum. If uh, we're getting you back to the future, which, I mean, trivia spoiler here, has been revealed he said i'll get the quote um uh, bob gilk uh, said there will never be a fourth film he said it is like selling it would be like selling your kids into prostitution it's a bit dramatic but okay <laughs> what an analogy he also added that fox could not participate because of the effects of his parkinson's disease so that was mm. a secondary issue for him um if we do get some kind of spin-off. Um, they might just be waiting for Bob Gale to bite the dust and someone's probably waiting there with the rights jumping all over them. They've got a cast Zoe Deutsch, haven't they? Mm, depends when it is, doesn't it? 
she might get caught in that middle age where she can't quite play the mum but can't quite play the girlfriend. I think they can make it work. Maybe. Um, this film went on to inspire the animated adult comedy Rick and Morty. Obviously, the uh, older doc slash scientist and the younger kid who's getting into lots all sorts of trouble alongside him. Do you think it's better for the film that they don't explain the relationship between Marty and the doc? Because at face value, it is a bit weird that this guy is just kind of hanging around. He's about 30 years his senior. <laughs> yeah, I think it's best to leave that unknown. You just like their relationship as it is. You don't want... Doc anything. was waiting outside them school gates in summer on his BMX. <laughs> Have you seen um, 100 Ways to Die in the West? So, I have. The less said about it, the better. See, you've seen the cameo of the Doc and the DeLorean in the Wild West. I've only seen it the once, so it's not ringing a bell. So the Doc actually makes a cameo with a DeLorean and um, they go into this Brandon barn in the middle of uh, the Wild West. And he's just there, like, throws a sheet over and goes, you didn't see anything. Um, Great. A couple yeah. more bits. Um, as Marty's entering the high school in 1985, if you pause it and have a look, one of the pieces of graffiti on the school says, Leah loves Calvin. So uh, pointing towards 1955, just how head over heels Leah Thompson's character was over Calvin Klein. A couple of casting what ifs. The role of Doc Brown, second choice for the role was Jeff Goldblum. Weirdly could work. But again, <laughs> Doc Brown is so iconic. There is such a role that you just couldn't see anyone else play. What? Second choices for Marty McFly. Um, John Cusack or Charlie Sheen? John mm. Cusack, of all the ones listed, those. Cusack works better, I think. I can see him. He's got the comic timing. He, he's got the kind of look there. Obviously, he's younger at the time. And we know now he can do it perfectly because he does pretty much the role in there. Popped a time machine. <laughs> Hopefully they'd have got him in for the sequels, though, unlike uh, Hot Tub Time Machine 2. Um, in early drafts of the screenplay, grown-up George McFly wasn't a successful novelist, but a prize fighter, an idea spurred on by the punch he lands on Biff. <laughs> if he wasn't um, so skinny, you could probably get on board. And uh, Leah Thompson kept the dress she wore under the Enchantment of the Sea High School dance. Her daughter, Zoe Deutsch, revealed she once got into trouble after she wore it for Halloween. So there you go. A couple of talking points before we go on to The Mummy. Um, this summer in 1985, where Back to the Future was released, it's competing with Rambo First Blood Part 2, The Goonies, James Bond, A View to Kill, Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome, National Lampoon's European Vacation, Rocky Four, The Colour Purple, and this was quite notable because the second weekend's release was actually bigger than the first. So it shows the way word of mouth really took this film. And it did go on, of course, to be the biggest selling film of the year. Tough competition, but it's come out on top. Yeah. Marty McFly, the outfit the outfit he's got on here, suspenders, very sign of the times. He's got on a great pair of Night Cortezes, which... Um, we spoke earlier. Sean actually owns the same pair as Martin McFly. So Sean was being influenced without knowing it. Um, Marty's rocking double denim in here. We don't really look at him any kind of way. 
and then he's also got a Walkman and mirrored aviators. It's like everything 1985, and they've just chucked every little stereotype bit on him. Also, the digital watch going off. I thought that was a nice sign of the times as well. It's not something overly dramatic, and even it's better looking back now because that was something that was being used to show how futuristic things have gone in that 30-year <laughs> period. So I thought that worked great. Yeah, it's like its own little time capsule because it over-accentuates every time zone that he's in. So the modern things, like you said, that are trying to be portrayed not in like real time, now it's like us looking back on 1955, essentially. Yeah. Um, so as I said, Michael J. Fox, 5'5", five five, the way he plays this role, it somehow is entirely believable that he is kind of this popular like the ladies love him he can lay out six foot plus biff and it's not deemed as that outrageous and i was speaking to keenan yesterday it's interesting the way they did this i know you don't actually see any of his other friends but they kind of sell him as being one of the popular kids in school and usually anytime you front up a character like that in films especially teen movies back then there would always be a point of conscience and the whole kind of way of the film would be realising that despite his popular, their popularity, they're an asshole, essentially. And with this one, it is just, he just seems to be a great guy. Like, everyone loves him. And he plays that to a T. So it definitely works so well that they got him in other than the other names mentioned. Because I, I don't know, as much as we acknowledge some of those cast in What Ifs, Back to the Future isn't Back to the Future without Michael J. Fox. No, agreed. Going back to what you say about like, popularity in like, high school in America, like it, there's such a stereotype between a popular person. A popular person is what? Biff, essentially, where he just, he just prick, just goes around pushing people around, get overly rapey as well, which is... Well, this was my next bit- thing. Why are all the blokes so handsy? I know. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's... Well, Biff, Biff, when you think about how things play out, Biff somehow assaults Marty's mum, but remains like a family friend for decades later when he's still cleaning their car <laughs> and working for them. They're like, <laughs> you know, that that's just Biff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, I, and the funny thing is, is that the child and the then father witnessed it in real time. Yeah. It was weirdly Marty's plan at the time. Like he couldn't think of any other way to disgrace himself that George could step in, other than he says that he's going to have to do something ungentlemanly so that George could grab him out of the car. Um, The assault thing—it doesn't even when you look back. It's rough, mate. This didn't didn't age well in in 1985, let alone like now. Like it's just such a weird thing to add in. It's a big detraction to the film for me. I mean, like, it is it, it like, like, I understand it's not the only film to feature it, but yeah, it's rough because it just sort of, like you say, it's just not needed. There are a thousand other scenarios. They've, yeah, they've created this damsel in distress scenario and they've just. The one for, um, the, the, sorry, I was going to say, because it ends up being Biff, strangely, it lightens it. The fact that but it was Marty, the fact that sorry. it was Marty. And, like, originally they were just like, yeah, I'm just, you know, trying to take advantage of her. And George was like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. Like, they, they, collude, they collude on it. It's probably, it is about as rough. 
that because that's like premeditated and fucking mental. But they don't even sell Biff as like a like proper evil horrible. He's just being sold as like a child, like a kid bully. He's a bit of a and dick. And then he just very quickly <laughs> ups the becomes a rapist. I mean, te- he doesn't quite, but he he was on the way. I mean, look, if you if you want to defend him, I know you like the film, but you do you. <laughs> that's, not, that's not that's not a hill a region, i die on there's a region it's pg-13 um <laughs> that him him not not i mean he's an unsuccessful rapist the the illusion yeah. or sorry the <laughs> the fact that he gets caught do you know what i mean it, it's, oh it's okay you got caught no the, i mean the man, they are quite the a big difference rapist. like i'm um, not sure we'd have sean on the podcast now i, I mean is success the is it, I mean I don't, I'm not sure if <laughs> I, I'm not sure if success is what we should mar- should measure the act by. I was just making a crude joke about. I know, <laughs> but just, just for the record, I just we, <laughs> someone should probably make that disclaimer. Yeah, I, I don't want to be. I, if I'm people not on took the things of... we said on this podcast entirely seriously, we wouldn't have had a podcast a long time ago. You, you're um, probably right, but just for the, the record on this one, I'm out. It's not for me. Um, so an animated TV series Back to the Future aired on CBS between 91 and 92 um, I've not seen it to kind of say the way whether it's good or bad um, surely the, the fact that it only ran from 91 to 92 gives you your answer now I don't know there's some of the best series ever um, but based kind of on well over time based on something like this do you know what I mean they probably wasn't well, it wasn't great they released a video game for it um, on the Nintendo that Bob Gale actually came out and said, do not buy this. It is the worst video game in history. Um, not a great um, seller for it. Doc Brown, they released a short film for the 35th anniversary where Christopher Lloyd goes back in his role as Doc to prevent a nuclear holocaust in 2045. <laughs> um, there's that. Me and Jack were watching the triple bill in the cinema uh, in the 2015 anniversary. Uh, if we just, before we move on, because I'm aware of the, the, the time, I do think there's more to talk about with this than the mummy. Um, Jennifer Parker, so Claudia Wells playing her, she, she's a supportive girlfriend in this. She encourages Marty. He, he's not a great musician. That's what he at the start of the film. He's a bit uh, OTT. Um, she's encouraging him, saying, send things off. I mean, he's checking out other girls right in front of her. The fact that she's turning his head back around and she's like, oh, that's just Marty. What a lovely guy I've got on my side. <laughs> Shame we didn't get her for the second film and uh, the third film, Audio Wells. Alan Silvestri, who did the soundtrack, also did the soundtrack for Forrest Gump, Polar Express and all of the Avengers films and plenty more. They're just the ones I took down. So they had, they had the right cast on board because the theme for this even with the other kind of more traditional soundtrack parts, the instrumentals that they do for this is uh, sensational. Yeah, again, adds to the whole the whole message, doesn't it? Yeah. The whole rich tapestry of that film. It's the music, yeah. it's the effects, a, the contrast of time zones, all that kind of stuff. An actress named Melora Hardin was originally going to play the role that goes to Claudia Wells. They um, undenied. And then essentially when they bring in Michael J. Fox, they said she's too tall. They, they had nothing to do with her role as an actress. She's about five, six. And so she's just towering over Michael J. Fox. And I'm like, this isn't going to work. 
So she's out. Claudia Wells comes back in. I know she doesn't get the opportunity to kind of pounce on uh, the star that she could have made for herself in that short time, but Laura Harden does nothing wrong and loses her role just because Michael J. Fox is short. And finally, a 2018 poll by the Hollywood Reporter of 2,200 people found that 71% of those asked wanted a Back to the Future sequel ahead of another Toy Story or Indiana Jones film. Just a shame that we aren't going to get it. If we rip and through I, the... It, sorry. I was just going to say, after, obviously, the newest Indiana Jones film, I don't trust anyone to remake Back to the Future. No, no. Um, Sean, if we go to you first, um, did you like the film? Yeah, I did like the film. I think Where it was it? one of the... Sorry. No, carry on. I was going to say, it, it, I can't remember the last time I watched a film where it felt like that feel good. Um, yeah, I was just watching it and like it, it, it just epitomizes a feel good film, like right from the right from the start. I was I was wondering like partway through like I did find the 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 terrorist bit was a bit strange. So like that fella that came out of nowhere, <laughs> and then there wasn't any context to it either, really. Um, and then part of me was thinking like, what is the actual point of this film? But then it, it obviously closes together at the end. So, but yeah, e- either way, it was. Yeah, really enjoyable. Oh, a little buzz you get each time the instrumental kicks in. Going, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, and the soundtrack was good as well. Like all of yeah. the quite a few songs in there. Um, Keenan, um, I think I said earlier, you did like the film. Um, you were perhaps a bit surprised by that. What was your favourite moment slash scene? Don't know. Two sacks. We can come back to you for the scoring. Just uh, Jack, what, what's your favourite moment or scene <laughs> in the film? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I thought Keenan was going to be there a while, the way he was sounding. <laughs> that exit, like, all right, see you later, Mom. Um It is a tricky one because I love... Right, you're not helping film. either. Huh? You're not helping either. No, I'm not. I think I'm going to give it to going back in time when they've got a hookup the car to the electricity at the exact point i think it's such a fun film that we don't clock that it has to touch the wire exactly the moment the electricity comes down the wire so i think that getting back in and then seeing doc brown wearing the bulletproof vest it's just that ultimate feel-good bit or when you think the film's ending and you think right that's it good film and then out of nowhere, Doc Brown comes back from the future. And that iconic line of where we're going, we don't need roads. And then the music kicks in. I just thought, oh, this is brilliant. I've got a different question for you, Keenan. Um, MVP. Is it Martin McFly or does Doc do enough for you? Um, I mean, give it Marty. But I would say, I mean, it probably should be Doc Brown by the rules of or Sean's official rules of an MVP. No, we, the we film. put that to bed. No, no we, we keep those official rules. We keep if no, it's we official, officially it's Doc Brown because, I mean, without him, the film doesn't fucking happen, does it? It's just about a shit musician. I, I, I'll say this for the record now. We did this earlier. That explanation Sean had, ridiculous. We, we've put that to one side for this bracket, <laughs> purely for the fact that any film with two leads up against one with one lost every time because clearly if there's only one main character... Sean's MVP ruling didn't happen. Your I MVP didn't here 
I didn't invent the MVP. You did that, Sean. The MVP here, who is the single best character across both films? Simply across both both films. Well, no, but that's when we get to the scoring. So MVP for Back to the Future. I think Dom still takes it, though, for me. Fair. Well, there we go. We'll get to your uh, pick for that later. I was just uh, bringing Keenan in because it's a moment slash scene analysis. He was struggling. You fucked me off quicker than I've ever seen in my life. Well, we've got plenty to get into. We've got Sean claiming he's got a dinner date, and so he's got to be out getting the hell out of here. Oh, start, chatting, start chatting shy about his film, and we'll move on, mate. Just uh, bringing everyone in. There's a lot of trivia for this. There's a lot going on. Fucking hell, yeah. I've um, been going 50 minutes. Don't make, don't make me make Jack mute you. He's got priors for that, and he will do it. I've got a taste for it now as well, so you better watch out. <laughs> like Jaws. As if a shark didn't just like eating human beings anyway. That taste of blood was what did it. That one AJ body took. We'll, we'll go on to the mummy and we'll, we'll swing back around because um, there is more to talk about for both. So, synopsis. At an archaeological dig in the ancient city of Hamunaptra, uh, an American serving in the French Foreign Legion accidentally awakens, oh, no. accidentally <laughs> awakens a mummy who begins to wreak havoc as he searches for the reincarnation of his long-lost love. Critics' reviews. Sean, what are you expecting here? Uh, I, well, in, in line with FEMA, I'm imagining most of it is bad, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were quite a few good ones in there as well. I'll take you through them. Despite a few grisly concepts obscured by PG-13 constraints, the most ineffective stabs at the humour continue rather incessantly to drown out the action and horror. Um, This one stood out the most. Universal has done the unthinkable. They've created the anti-matrix, the summer event movie you simply have to avoid. (laughs) Wow, that's scathing. Um, The money ingenuously struggling today i'll put it on the i'll put it down to the covid jab um the movie the mummy ingenuously combines adventure with parody a hint of horror the dynamic plasticity of animation and excellent use of the special effects which we will get to um all of the leads are really charismatic which is what you need in a movie like this evelyn's curiosity is what eggs the plot on and while rick is certainly the hero he's also technically just her muscle Harsh on Brendan Fraser there. A rousing adventure piece, a thrilling romper that brings to mind 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and King Kong. Romper is like the word they'd use to describe a disgraced footballer in the early 2000s. Only only ever gets brought into films otherwise. A romper. And there's one there film Romper Stomper as well. (laughs) Romper. He doesn't know that. Yeah, it's got Russell Crowe in it. It's about uh, it's the Australian version. Yeah, it's the Australian version of American History X. There we go. Um, Simply, everything fits into place with Fraser leading a great cast and assuming his role of a modern Indiana Jones to a villain who you really have to take seriously. Uh, The script is almost too tongue-in-cheek for its own good, but Summer's thriller-minute cliffhanger is a tribute, a parody, and a high-energy period adventure all in one. A raucous and entertaining action horror entry with great performances and a vicious villain. 
It's easy to fall back on self-conscious humour, but if, as the author, you have to keep interrupting your story to remind the audience how dumb the material is, what's the point of telling your tale in the first place? <laughs> Jesus. And finally, check your brain at the door. That's back for this season. Uh, and enjoy the bumpy ride, because this one will have you laughing, screaming, and sighing your way into the mysterious world of ancient Egypt and its spooky dooky bits. There we go. Um, not as much trivia for this one, as I say. Jump in. So, with the exception of a loincloth, a few pieces of jewellery, and pasties, uh, pasties, good on here. Uh, Patricia Velasquez's costume consists entirely of body paint, which took four hours to apply. They really should have given us more for that, shouldn't they? It's taking four hours. <laughs> How like are you effort. feeling about that, Sean? Four hours, that is a lot of work. And the new ruling, she's Sean's MVP. In what world is she the MVP? She's your MVP, just for that body paint. <laughs> Brendan Fraser nearly died during a scene where his character is hanged. Rachel Weiss remembered he stopped breathing and had to be resuscitated. Shut Jesus. up. That's method. 19, 1999, Jack. They don't play by the rules here. <laughs> Honestly, That's... they could have saved me two hours if they did just hang him doing this. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. Um, the white nightgown Evelyn wore when the ship was attacked became transparent when it got wet and had to be digitally painted while, had to be digitally painted white during post-production so the film could keep its PG-13 rating. That seems like an obvious thing that's going to happen. I don't know if wardrobe here had a thing for Rachel Weisz and thought they'll never suspect a thing here as they put her in white and throw her into water. It seems like common sense could have saved them a lot of time editing. <laughs> or just film it again when they're not wearing white. Um, the opening voiceover was originally intended to be read by Imhotep. Director Stephen Summers later realised that Imhotep wouldn't be able to speak English, and so gave the voice to Ardeth Bay instead. Um According to Stephen Summers, Universal phoned in the morning after this movie was released and said, we need another one, which we'll get on to. Um, the crew could not shoot in England, in Egypt because of the unstable political conditions. The production had the official support of the Moroccan army and the cast members had kidnapping insurance taken out on them. A fact that Stephen Summers disclosed to the cast only after shooting had finished. That's some good people management there. <laughs> um, the effect team was told no gore when, when designing the look of the mummy. They actually did tests for a grossness threshold. Big casting what if here. Leonardo DiCaprio was rumoured to have been offered the role of Rick O'Connell. It's believed DiCaprio would love the script and wanted to be in the film. However, he'd already agreed to star on the beach. It's also been said that DiCaprio asked if the beach could be delayed so he could film the mummy, but producers refused. That is huge, isn't it? And before Brendan Fraser, the role of Rick O'Connell was offered to Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> that would have been awful. That would have been unbelievable. That would have been dreadful if it was just Stallone. him punching, just him punching mummies. <laughs> <laughs> he, he still is Rocky character. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> he takes twelve rounds with bandage gloves. <laughs> Rachel Weisz was the only running. actress offered her part. Sorry, Sean. I was just going to say, you can see him running at the pyramid, couldn't you? <laughs> the um, Wes Craven was offered a directing job. 
a throwback to uh, media studies. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what's going on, on the set of this film. So during the filming of the scene with scarabs crawling under his skin, Omid Jalili chose not to wear underwear for some reason. As a result, his genitals kept falling out of his pants during takes as he was writhing in pain. The editor had to cut around the unintentional nudity as much as possible. However, if you watch the scene closely, you can still see some of his scrotum for a few frames during one shot as he is screaming, help me, and grabbing at his pants. <laughs> Why didn't they just ask him to put some pants on? What was wrong with the director of this film? Oh, no, it's just no. a free-for-all. I remember... When I first watched this film, that that put me off. Never going to Egypt. Like, scar- yeah, I oh, know. Yeah, or Omidrini scrotum, which one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't notice the scrotum at that point. But. One of my talking points here: Are scarab beetles the worst insects in movie history? Are they on your Rushmore, Sean? In terms of, well, I mean, what, what do you mean? Just being like the worst insects in movie history? You, know, you don't <laughs> want a piece of these, do you? You don't want a piece of it, right? Yeah, in that in that kind of context, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That would be like the idea, of, like with uh, well, the way that Benny fight, meets his end, like that. That would be yeah. horrific. They're on my Rushmore alongside um, Shelob in Lord of the Rings and the Cockroach Man in Men in Black, um, and we've got <laughs> a space left. So, I think of some others now that come out. Could be a little side. So I, I feel like Harry Dog in Harry Potter is cheap having another spider there. <clears throat> yeah, in yeah. A different type of bug. It is. Scars will be up there, though. Yeah. So The Mummy opened on May 7th, 1999 and grossed $43 million in 3,210 theatres just across the United States and Canada on its opening weekend, which was the highest non-holiday May opening of all time. Um now, the money it makes dropped pretty significantly a week later because for some reason, whoever did the marketing for this decided they would go head-to-head with Star Wars A Phantom Menace. That's strange. That makes no sense. If you're trying to build the new Indiana Jones, which clearly they were trying to do, they have it on the posters and it's a new Indiana Jones and all sorts. Surely you go earlier or you go later. Like You don't go head-to-head <laughs> with the new Star Wars film that people have been waiting, what, 20 years for? <laughs> well, on this, uh, on that note, though, I was listening to um, the the Entourage podcast earlier, and they like talked about it and a bit of an insight. And apparently, it, it is a thing that sometimes they aim to do because they try and look at that people would either watch one or the other, and like go like so. Everyone who doesn't want to watch Phantom Menace will go and watch the Mummy, like for example. And then they do that with quite a few other films. So that's why. They put it. I know it still kind of doesn't make sense, but that's why they put it against each other that's rather. Than, you know, at, at, at the same but, time, though, like no one was releasing a film alongside Endgame, and no one was releasing a film alongside like Return of the King. Like it just wasn't happening. Like, yeah, you knew yeah. it's not worth it. Yeah. Maybe if it's a sequel, then I I get it, but it seems not even worth the like a calculated risk here. I mean, it still goes on to make a lot of money and get a second film, but it just seems weird. Especially because it's not like it's completely opposing genres. Like you'd imagine people that are fans of Star Wars are going to be fans of The Mummy. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, a question I had here. So I don't know about any of you. Um, I was quite excited to watch this. Um, I hadn't watched it since I was a kid. It was one of the ones when me and Keenan were putting together the bracket that 
it wasn't even at a, it wasn't even a consideration when we were taking films out to kind of get down to the 32. About an hour in, I felt like I'd been watching it for a week. Yeah. And then the the effects, I don't know if it's harsh to judge a film for effects that weren't bad for the time when you watch it now. I can't, I, this doesn't even look like it would have been good at the time, the effects. The effects for Imhotep at first looked like something out of like a B movie. Yeah. I don't remember it being that bad. No. I don't know. If it's, I don't know if yeah, I don't know if you're being kind of harsh just on the basis of the time that's passed. I don't know, but like this comes out after Terminator Two. Hmm. Compare the effects. This comes out fifteen years after Back to the Future. If you can't do the effects, don't don't do it. They didn't even need that kind of beginning phase because when they're a bit further down the line and he's kind of in between becoming like a fully formed human again. It's not too bad. The first phase, I don't know what they're playing at. <laughs> Me and Jack weirdly seem to press play on films at like near enough the exact same time uh, this week when we were watching them. I was wondering if it was just me, and then I actually think he was more critical than I was. So, yeah, it's, I remember watching it not as a kid. But like having one is passing, if you know what I mean. And this was one of the first times I sat down to watch it. And I feel like if you don't have that enamoured relationship with it from when you were a kid, when you first watched it, going straight into it now is quite a difficult watch. I thought maybe it's because there's just films that have come out in similar veins that have just been executed to a higher standard. I don't know. But I was watching it. I just, I just got bored halfway through it it was like all the action scenes were just so what's the word i'm looking for like childishly urgent it was just hard work for me it was hard work like you never really felt that there was any kind of danger it just felt a bit dull keenan i text you before you'd watched it with my thoughts did did your opinion differ when you got around to watching it uh, it's not. It hasn't aged fantastically, but I actually unlike unlike Jack. I do. I like. I I love this film as a kid. I like the second one. I like the Scorpion King. I even watched the fucking cartoon. Like, I'm gonna I watch the second it. one soon and see if like that's what I'm remembering. I think. I so. think the. One, I think the second one is better, but I, I'm better. like you know I, I I do like both. Yeah, I do. I do. I like. I don't. I won't won't rush to watch this again now that i've gone back and seen it but it does still have a little place in my heart and it has yeah that that's right and i felt like when watching it as well i know we've said this about a few films but this definitely falls into the itv2 category mm-hmm. on that and then even to the point where i think i've seen it so many times on that i could see i knew the parts in the film where it'd be going to happen yeah, to be honest, but after rewatching the shoot, I think it's probably gone closer to your ITV threes or fours now. <laughs> hey, yeah. ITV ITV four over ITV two for me, and I'll say that with chest. Um, when I was, I got some ITV two. I got that all downloaded. Don't need to worry about ITV two there. What a when shit I was, I got some trivia for this before I went back and watched it. I'll admit, I was worried from the stage when I saw. Brendan Fraser was picked for this role after the strength of his performance in Georgia the Jungle. I thought, <laughs> mm, this could be a problem. Great film. Unreal it? film. Thank you, Shoot. 
appreciate Great that. marketing campaign for that. George, George, George of the Jungle, watch out for that tree. Still in my head now. Unbelievable. I actually really, again, it's another, that's just from me being a kid. Great film. Where, where were you when Brendan Fraser needed you? I feel like if you were in his ear, say 20 years ago, he what, could have gone six? on to be Harrison Ford. When I was six, somehow I don't think me and Brandon striking up many, many startling conversations. <laughs> hey, well, Maybe might do. It's I about am, similar age gap between Martin McFly and Doc. You could have yeah. done your bit. Yes, but I'm not the older one in this point, am I? And Marty McFly no. is seventeen. We don't Whereas know where they Six. Leslie no? Mann. Leslie Mann enjoys the jungle as well. Yep. Didn't the woman saying Brendan Fraser for the Leslie Mann Hall of Fame then? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where we were going. <laughs> I think it's the second one. Uh, the woman who plays the mums uh, plays... Oh, fuck. Doesn't matter. Keep moving. Um, so if we go on to uh, some of these categories for The Mummy, I, I don't need to ask you about rewatchability, I don't think, Jack. So, Sean, obviously you had a memory of this film going in before you were then rewatching it for the purpose of this bracket. Yeah. Has... The re- rewatchability gone up or down since you rewatched it? Because, like we we were playing football, me me and you the other Friday, and in my head I'd got better at football since not playing, um, and I did have the realization then when I was playing again that the ability hadn't changed. And I don't <laughs> know if the rewatchability for you had gone up in not watching it and had come back down after seeing it again. Uh, yeah, it's, it was a strange one uh, and I think part of it might be just just the aspects of growing up and not watching it for a while but because I used to like Keenan said I used to watch it loads like religiously if it's on ITV then I'm then I'm watching it and then really enjoyed it every time when I watched it this time I still like it like, I'm, not, I'm not in the camp of you and uh you and Harper but I didn't enjoy it as much as Keenan sorry it's been a long day Keep going. <laughs> I feel like Sean's been owed that to be fair from previous podcasts <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, I mean, look, I, I think I, I would still watch it again, but I think only in the context of that. If it's on TV and happens to be watching TV, then I'd watch it. Where instead of like going out of my way to to go and watch it. Um, Keenan, mm-hmm. you've got some good side characters in this. Who's your favourite of the lot? It's probably the brother, to be honest. John Hannah. Mm, great guy. Yeah, he's my one as well. The actual best of the series is the Medjoy in the second one. Legend. Who's more in the second one, sorry. Uh, yeah, he is. Yeah, you're right. And Jack, if, if I go to you... Um... Who obviously does the... the sorry, I was just going to say, actually, no. he does the voiceover for this one. It's hard, but he's the best character. Yeah. He's probably the best character in it, to be honest. That he, he, he was going to die in the original script, and then he said that he liked the character too much to... Not kill it. He didn't want to kill him off the director. The opening, mon- opening monologue's absolute class. I love it. Um, Jack, there was a critic's review that said that Brendan Fraser was essentially nothing more than muscle. Even this, who who's your MVP of the film? Um, it kind of has to be him because he's the only good guy that does something that isn't either wisecrack or scream. <clears throat> so it's going to have to be him. Just like by proxy that there isn't really anyone else that does a lot. The only other guy I can think of is the one of the Guardian blokes that 
you think he's a bad guy, but he's actually a good guy because he's trying to stop them from opening the tomb. So it will have to be Brendan Fraser. Before before we get into the um, scoring, if we, we, we missed out quotes for Back to the Future as well as the money, if we just quickly go through them and then we'll score and then we do have a couple of talking points. Um, Back to the Future, you, you referenced Great Scott. Um, there seems to be a thing with like Spielberg in this kind of time frame where he just sneaks in like curse words in like I was not taken aback that sounds like it would blow me away but they sneak in them both saying shit a couple more times than I remembered in Back to the Future for a film <laughs> that is kind of so like family based like he says yeah. like this is some serious shit this is some heavy shit oh shit like the whole yeah. way through when this gets to 88 you're going to see some serious shit exactly <laughs> and you get, you get a, I know it's a different curse word in America but you get a Bastards as well. Yeah, <laughs> they shout at the terrorists. That just makes me think of South Park when I hear. It's, it's funny because you you hear bastard said on like American daytime TV sitcoms, and I'm there like, what? Because <laughs> obviously you're brought up here to for it to be like quite a bad word. To be fair, they it's kind of like I guess like over here they don't blank out people saying like crap in the daytime TV so. Yeah. <laughs> he just let things slide in some places. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say on side character as well. We've obviously gone for Jonathan, which go back on it, but I forgot to mention Benny. Would probably be my second best there as well. And I also think we'll it's a shame he, he didn't come back to Mummy Returns. He could have been like Imhotep's slave Mummy who came back. But before we get to that, um, a couple of things from where they see like some racial undertones in this. I mean, he says he, some reefer addicts he refers to uh, <laughs> guys in, in the car to. He references uh, oh, a coloured president, uh, coloured mayor, that'll be the day. A um, couple of things in this, I guess, sign, sign of the times. Um, it is 1955 in America. Yeah. Segregation's um, still going on, isn't it? 1955? Just kind of ending, sort of. It's, yeah, still definitely happening. When was Little Rock? That was 65, wasn't it? Yeah, MLK is like 60 in yeah. 60, so. so. We don't just talk about films, do we? We educate you as well. Where yeah. else are you getting this? Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I mean... I laugh each time on this. Uh, he says, oh my God, they found me. I don't know how, but they found me. Who do you think? The Libyans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like... They found me in this wide open public space. <laughs> I don't know how they found me, but in this um, tiny li- in this tiny town, there's a weird scientist guy messing around with plutonium in the mall parking lot. I don't know how they found me. Hey Biff, get a load of this guy's life preserver. Dork thinks he's gonna drown. <laughs> if you the the Gilet Rushmore, you've got Martin McFly and Tim Sherwood on there. Who else is taking taking up the other spaces, sure? Oh, shit, was not getting on there. Do you need two more names after those two? Can we just have a rock with Marty McFly and Sherwood carved into it (laughs) in my garden? I know exactly what pose I want Sherwood doing as well. I'm doing the salute. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. (laughs) Saluting the DeLorean. Um, You're going to order something, kid. Give me a tab. Can't give you a tab unless you order something. Give me a Pepsi Free. Pepsi Free was only around for five years. Um, 
I could see. Uh, you want I a Pepsi see... Power? You're going to pay for it. Go on, Sean. <laughs> it wasn't relevant. I was just. I was going to say. I could see Sherwood as uh, England's under twenty one manager. <laughs> <laughs> I have your car towed all the way to your house, and all you got for me is light beer. Is um Pepsi free? Not just Pepsi Max. Yeah, but it was branded as Pepsi free at the time. No, no, I get, I, I, so I get that part. But I just wondered it was. I assumed it was the same, but I didn't actually know. I yeah. didn't do any research. Like that phase um, where you had brown Coke cans for the caffeine free. I don't remember that. Before our time, Keenan. Before our time. Were they brown? Keenan is younger than us. Don't forget that. They were like gold, weren't they? Yeah, goldy brown. Um. I only took it down a couple of quotes from the mummy, but one of them, just the hangman, as if hanging him isn't enough. Any last request, P? There's no need for that, is there? Loosen the knot and let me go. More one of mine, because it's where Jonathan really reminds me of you. I feel like you would be very Jonathan-esque in this situation. Like when, I, when O'Connell says, are you all right? Um, and he's clearly not speaking to Jonathan, but then he says, well, I'm not sure. And that's that's your kind of humour. Well, so I quite enjoy that. you be all right in that situation? Having to camp out in the desert would be enough for me, even if you <laughs> take the mummies out of the situation. <laughs> um, Think of yeah, my there children. Are, there, aren't really too many, there aren't really too many quotes as such, are there, I guess? You don't have any children. Someday I might. I only gamble with my life, never my money. And the one that's literally like, they may as well have had her stare down the camera. It's just a book. No harm ever came from reading a book. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get into let's get into the judging and see what is going on here. So, Sean, we'll start with you. Set the yeah. stage. Which film did you prefer? I preferred Back to the Future. Keenan? Yeah, I think I did as well. Jack, do I, do I need to ask you? No, you don't. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I prefer Back to the Future as well. Um, I'll, I'll, I will apologise. There was more trivia than I had here, so I apologise. I've taken out uh, the space to talk about some of these. I actually chopped it down as much as I could, but only when Keenan remarked uh, about the time that had been spent, did I realise quite how much there was. So uh, apologies there, um, Jack. We'll stick with you. Um, Rewatchability, which do you prefer? Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, Sean? Uh, back, back to the Future as well. Keenan? Yeah, it'd be the same. Same. You sound resigned there, Keenan. Is it? He doesn't sound very happy, does he? I was you, just you, you, you're you're not right? happy that you enjoyed Back to the Future. No, did no, I'm want, fine. I'm fine. Did, did you want to? a little down in the dumps. Um, no, no, I'm good. What was your thoughts on it, Keenan? What was your actual. Oh, quite, I was quite pleasantly surprised, mate. I'd never, I'd never seen it, but I knew everything big that happened in it. Did you think, like beforehand, going into it, that oh, I thought it was going to be fucking shit? Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I thought you had that thought. So, no questions asked. In my head, it was going to be one of where it was. I was dreading the fact that I almost had to pay eight quid for it as well. Fucking hell! <laughs> oh yeah, I had to phone him. It was Amazon for eight quid, and I had to phone him. I, to be fair, Keenan, I was having a shift at the time. I nearly FaceTimed you and then realised. Um, <laughs> I had to phone him and say, Keenan, quick, he's actually on Now TV and so is the mummy. Don't press that button. Yeah. And I thought I it was going to be typical pay. and he was going to have just pressed it. I've, honestly, I thought I'd about to pay eight quid and then 
to be honest, actually. The, I, the only thing that would have been annoyed me would have been that I would have bought it because I don't, as much yeah. as I, 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 it's one of them that I think, yeah, it is rewatchable, but will I ever actually get around to rewatching it? Eh, probably not, unless would someone you, someone asked me. Has this enticed you to watch the sequels, though? I couldn't wait it's out. I, could, I you, don't know. You should be I on board Back the... to the Future 2. For, those, to... for you that don't know, I mean, Back to the Future 2, the whole thing is they get a sports almanac so they can go back in time and bet on the games. Like, yeah, I know that, game. but again, it's one of them where I know most most what happens. Like, the big scenes in this, I knew exactly what they, they were. I mean, it's just, it was a, it's a fucking phenomenon. I mean, you'd have to be deaf, blind and dumb not to know it. Like, it, but I did, was it was the little bits in it that I was really... Um, was really surprised by. I, I, I got to say, I really, I, I, I did like it quite a lot. If, if we go back to what I asked you earlier, Keenan, um, what's the best moment slash scene across the two films for you? For me, actually, it's, it is the bit where you see the where he moves the DeLorean for the first time. He time travels. He gets shot. I, yeah. I, I did again. It's iconic, isn't it? That bit where the fl- flame sparks between yeah. their legs and so on. Uh, Sean, what about you? Um, I felt going in, going into watching. Uh, Back to the Future because I watched The Mummy first I thought nothing was going to be for me my favourite scene of The Mummy is is the opening scene correct um, uh, which is really good yeah um, but I'd probably give it to the Dino Skateboard scene uh, yeah. which I quite like and then obviously it ends with them being covered in that manure yeah uh, Jack what about you I'm actually going to give it to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance yeah. Because the Johnny B. Good rendition is just amazing. And I had Earth Angel, Earth Angel stuck in my head for about two <laughs> That used to be my alarm clock for the morning, that song. <laughs> really? Yeah. Amazing. I'm pretty sure after we watched it in 2015 at the cinema, I, um, you couldn't at the time just have like a random song from your phone on, a, on an iPhone. So I think I yeah. paid like 79p just to have it as uh, so yeah, a yeah, I, I did that with Rush by... Tom Sawyer and um, no Tom Sawyer by Rush and it ruined the song for me like, I it hasn't ruined it for me it still charms me mine I do agree with um, Keenan is the first scene where um, he does the, the time travel but it could have been any number of these really depending on which scene I probably watched last would be the one that I would pick um, Keenan Best quote for you across the two films? Probably it's just where we're going. We don't need roads in it. Uh, Sean? Yeah, same. Jack? I'm either going to go for Butthead. Um, <laughs> is anyone home at fly? I don't know. My dad always used to say that to me as a kid when I did something stupid. Get home at fly. So I think I'm going to go for that one. Mine would be one from Back to the Future. It could be any. What I did mean to highlight is um, Lorraine's dad saying he's an idiot, comes from upbringing. His parents are probably idiots too. Lorraine, you ever have a kid that acts that way, I'll disown you. <laughs> Quite harsh. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think any one of the times he says uh, this is heavy, I enjoyed that every time. And it, I found myself wanting to say it but not being able to pull it off afterwards um sean who is your mvp across the two films um probably o'connell keenan yeah rick o'connell jack 
MVP, sorry. Broke yeah. Um, Mine's Martin McFly for the record. Yeah, I'm probably going to have to go with Mike. Wow, colluding there. Oh, no, I was, I was that between What's that colluding? That colluding. You are trying to influence his decision. I wasn't. I was just telling you mine. Uh-huh, I was waiting you know, for Jack. You know exactly what you were doing. Sean, I'll go back to you. Best side character across the two. My guy, Jonathan, in The Mummy. Keenan? Doc Brown, isn't it? I don't, I don't know if Doc Brown's a side Doc character. Sean, think... you know how many scenes is he in? He's not yet. I, I don't know. Yeah, he's in it for less than twenty-five minutes. It's a two-hour film. I'm not sure. A guy that's on the poster. I'm not sure is a side character. You've got two characters on the poster. He's in it for an eighth of the runtime. I don't know what. I'm not sure what else you want me to say. That's literally the point of a side character, no? Surely. He's not a side character. His dad or his mum. He's a main. He's a main character. I'm actually. You change. Are you seem to change the rules based on whether or not you like the film? This is not no. Genuinely, yeah. you seem to change your decision on things, whether or not you like the film. Not well, no, because if I just wanted it to go to Back to the Future, then I, I would say that's a side character. But that's no, but the overall uh, to everything. I mean, how is he not? Okay, well, that's fine. Yeah, in which case, then it would be Jonathan from the Mummy. I'm I'm trying to think of an example to uh, say, but basically, he's he's not a side character. Um. Jack, what about you? I was going to go Doc Brown because I think this is mental. Sean, are you hearing this? I am. It is mental. If you're classing Marty's mum as a side character, she's more of a film than Doc is. But she is a side character. Yeah, so Doc Brown would be too then because she's in more of the film than Doc Brown is. It's not just about rent. I understand, but I think I understand both of your points. But it isn't just rent. Like Brian said, the two people you think of when you think of. But as a future, it's Marty and Doc Brown. Okay, okay. Well, I've gone for Marty's mum, so Sean did take my uh, my pick there. I do like the the principal guy, Slackers. I like that. We didn't even say that, Slacker. Oh, yeah. To clarify, my Sean pick... went for um, Jonathan, right? Yeah. 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 Jack, do you have a pick? Oh yeah, I'll go Marty's mum there, Marty's dad, whichever whichever class is a side character. The young or the old. I'm going young because they're just interesting characters. Jack, we'll stick with you. Um, which film do you think has the more difficult adventure? <laughs> you, you're probably going for the mummy on this because you are fighting like, this superhuman cursed god. I humbly disagree. It doesn't <laughs> take that much to get rid of Imitet once they actually use some common sense. They, they've literally got a book that they need to just read out how to get rid of him. Yeah, that is true. And somehow it takes them two hours to work this out. <laughs> the complexity nice. and the difficulty of the adventure. For a Black- start, he for a start, he's had to invent time travel. He's then had to go back solo because he doesn't have the scientists on his side here. Get back in time, blend in with the times, convince his mum and his dad to fall in love, mate and have him convince the doc that he's actually come from the future time it to the second how to be able to get back in time and then sort things out afterwards now you've explained it that way you sold me there it's the the mummy they kill the undead the plague Keenan what do you think I gave it to back to the future Um, Sean 
Which yeah. film do you think has more visual appeal? Visual appeal. Yes. Mm. Tough. I mean, I've I've put the mummy. It was a, it was a tough one for me, but I know you've got to get off. By the way, we've only got a couple of categories left to yeah. go through. Um, Keenan, which do you think has more visual appeal? Uh, Back to the Future. Rewatching the mummy. It's a. Uh... I know it's set in the desert, but it's surprisingly, <laughs> ba- it's surprisingly based. <laughs> um, Jack, what about you? Yeah, it's Back to the Future. Oh, I agree. Um, it has made me really want to get a, uh, a pair of trainers and a uh, chalet. So if you see me walking around in an orange chalet and some Cortezes, don't question me. Or like double denim. If I see you hanging onto the back of a truck on a skateboard... <laughs> I don't think you'd get me crouching down like that, let alone being <laughs> on a skateboard as well. Um, Sean, best soundtrack? Back to the Future. I know we praised the soundtrack of True Romance last week. Does this top it for you? No, no, because it's not It's not living in my head still three weeks later, <laughs> two weeks later. You wait till Earth Angel gets in there. Keenan, which film has the better soundtrack for you? Back to the Future. I agree. Jack? Same, yeah. Sean, which film is more original? Uh, Back to the Future. You know, um, at at the time, um, this was deemed as quite a big thing, and even more so now, I think, if it came out, because it's a rare film that doesn't go from any source material. Like, it's not a comic, it's not a video game. It's not a TV show. It is a completely original idea. And they've gone from there. So at the time, I think there was the 10 highest grossing ones around this were Forrest Gump, Jaws, Titanic comes from a uh, real-life event, just by the fact they find their own twist on it. But it was very unusual for this to happen. I think Ghostbusters was the next highest. So it was a big thing at the time. Um, Jack? Which uh, do you think is uh, more original? Yeah, Back to the Future, for the reasons you just said. Keenan, have I asked you? No, but I'll probably say Back to the Future. Um, There is a film of 1932 of The Mummy, but I can't profess to have seen it, but it's meant to be like the one that they do release, but just a lot darker. But, I mean, if we're complaining about the effects here, (laughs) I don't know why they were doing it in 32 tissue paper wrapped around him maybe Jack which film had the bigger impact for you it's got to be Back to the Future I feel for uh, keep, sorry how, yeah just for how it's spoken about now still um, and three sequels I know the mummy had sequels too but Keenan yes Back to the Future Sean yeah same I agree I think it's a good barometer, a good yardstick to use how against it Keenan was and how he actually turned out to love it as well. <laughs> That's how big an impact this film has. Love is, um, an, love is an overstatement for the record. Oh, no, but, you love it. We, but I did like it. I'm definitely taking this as love. I don't love it. I'm just, I'm just slightly more than ambivalent about it. Jack, no, I'm more which, than ambivalent. Jack, which film has the better opening scene for you? It's Although The Mummy's one is good and it did... I did enjoy it. It's still Back to the Future. Going through town on a skateboard, music playing. Just a brilliant way to enter a film. I agree. It's actually one of my most rewatchable scenes, the first one. And it does uh, get that smile on your face from the jump. So 
that would be my pick. Sean, what about you? Uh, it's the mummy for me. Because, um, yeah, I, I really, it's one, as I said, it's my favourite scene in, in the film. And But in, in credit to Back to the Future, like, I went into it again thinking, because New Open seems one of the categories, like there's no way it's going to beat this. And when it first started, I thought it's, it's not. But then towards the end of the open scene, I could see how it was quite good. But, yeah, I'd still go for the mummy. Keenan, what about you? The mummy, because it it could actually be the best the best scene across the two films. Like I wouldn't argue against it. It's mint. Yeah, yeah. We'll stick with you, Keenan. Um, which do you think is the uh, best ending? Uh, Back to the Future. The the whole special effects thing uh, really does come all to, <laughs> to a head in the end of the Mummy. I remember loving that as well when he melts up and he dies. Although the way uh, I'm a big fan of a silhouette killing. Where they kill, um, um, they kill. I can never pronounce her name, but they, yeah, they kill his missus. <laughs> and that's in the moon. Thank you. Cheers, Sean. Sean, which film do you think has the better ending? An X in the moon. An X in the moon. And that I've now not been able to pronounce it. That's <laughs> again it right. Um, yeah, she's got got my vote for um, girl MVP. Um, do you say ending? Oh, ending for me. Yeah, is Back to Future as well. Arsenal losing after four minutes. Brilliant. Um, I'm on delay. Good evening. You speaking Spanish, Jack? No, it wasn't me. I was. Uh, <laughs> shoot, but oh, did you say on delay? <laughs> it did sound like you said on delay. <laughs> <laughs> good evening, on delay. That wheezing. Oh, good job. Untouchable. Have I asked Jack? Have I asked you which ending you prefer? You know which one it is. Come on. <laughs> Just, uh, <laughs> um, and finally, um, no objectivity on this pod. Excuse me. What? <laughs> you, Thank you, Keenan. Um, which film had the better chemistry? Marty and Doc Brown. Jack. Yeah, yeah, it's Marty and Doc Brown. Um, Marty and his mum for me. I'm Marty and Doc Brown. Sean, what about you? Uh... Yeah, it, it is Marty and, and Doc Brown. I do think um, uh, Fraser and Rachel Weiss do have good chemistry, but not as good as um, Marty and Doc Brown. What I'll tell you, she she fell in love with him off a a forced kiss, and then she's proper obsessive about that. It's so strange. Like she goes zero to a hundred. <laughs> That's how love works. As, she's opposed, in room, so as opposed to on. Marty's mum, who's on him from the jump after his dad after her dad almost kills him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hardly better. It's hardly a better introduction, is it? Well, there was consent there for a start. I mean, Mar is fucking pretty rocky on it. And she's yeah, trying to so, grip him up. So she's trying she to grip him under the table and all. <laughs> Kids these days. No objectivity. All right, I gotta go. But yeah, all right. um, enjoy your dinner. I will so, do. Sean, um, How going into next next week, it is Skyfall against. 2004's King Arthur. Yeah, huge, huge week, huge, huge week. My favourite film of all time. I don't think there's a that film in this changes every week. Like. That does not change every week. Your favourite film changes every week. My favourite week, my favourite film of all time has not changed since 2004. Wait, what's that? King Arthur. King Arthur. Is that? Well, he said his favourite. He said his. He said his favourite film was The Hangover in the comedy bracket and then voted against it by the way <laughs> in in the in the bracket yeah king arthur wasn't in that bracket was it 
Sean, you voted for Wedding Crashes over the Hangover after you declared Hangover <laughs> your favourite comedy of all time. Yeah, because it won me over. <laughs> Fair weather, fire. I'm objective. I'm objective, unlike you. You're not consistent. There's that much. <laughs> um, so, see you later, Sean. Back to the Future has progressed to face True Romance in round two with an 11 0 scoreline. Um, Last couple of bits, I mean, I'm not missing much here. Real star of the film, I guess that came in with our MVP when we said about Marty over Doc Brown. Real star of the film for The Mummy, Brendan Fraser? Yeah. Has to be. Um, I don't know, maybe Rachel Vice makes a strong shot. She's, she's, she is good, isn't it? Yeah. Just... It's a shame what happened to Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Me and Jack spoke about it in a week. Yeah. Really um, recasting one role. Um, I'm going, I'm replacing Crispin Glover with uh, Jeffrey Weissman for Back to the Future 1 nice. as George McFly. I want to see it again, but give me Cusack. I, I would like to see that just like if you could give me like on the side cut, but you, you can't recast Michael J. Fox. Really. I want to see it. I want to see it again with Cusack. John Cusack's my guy. Dare I ask you, Jack, about a recasting? I I think if you were going to remake it now, well, I, no, if you were going to remake it in like the two thousands, Hayden Christensen would have been a decent Martin McFly. Um, if if the cast swapped, which film works best? Back to the Future as the Mummy. Yeah. Yeah. Give me Doc. Give me Doc Brown Doc as the Brown brother. Is Ooh, I mean, okay. Doc Brown and Imhotep. Uh, me and Jack had similar thoughts there, yeah. yeah. No, give me Doc Brown as the eccentric brother, Marty McFly being Rick O'Connell, his missus obviously being your one, being Rachel Vice. Imhotep, give me Biff, see him getting stabbed. That is true. Brendan Fraser would make a great Biff. If we're, if we're saving a career here, Keenan, um, mm. if you had to add either Hayden Christensen or Christian Slater to this film, which would it be? So which film? Either, either one, you have to add Hayden Christensen to one, Christian Slater. Oh, okay, sorry, my apologies. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd probably put Christian Slater into Back to the Future I agree. and Hayden Christian into The Mummy. I agree, strongly. And Jack, if you had to add either Harrison Ford to one film and Paul Rudd to the other which way around would it go Harrison Ford is the dot um, I'm not sure that's rough I, I don't I think Harrison Ford's too straight down the line for that I think he's a really shit film with Harrison Ford in it Harrison Ford's more likely to be the teacher call him a slacker yeah that's true I mean considering the mummy as they said was supposed to be basically Indiana Jones it seems a clear fit to put Harrison Ford in there and Paul Rudd in Back to the Future I like that yeah I do too he could be um, George McFly well, did actually that's a bit, his, his face is a bit too confident maybe I was going to say he might be George McFly at the end of the film but he don't. I don't yeah. think he pulls off the rest of it if he's casting the sequel he's the guy that says I think he took that guy's wallet <laughs> I, think he'd, I think he'd say that line perfectly Keenan, which low-key piece of memorabilia would you take from the film? Essentially, if we were talking true romance, 
you'd be talking more about Clarence's Hawaiian shit than that was the answer. I know we didn't do paddling. this last week, but that was the answer. I couldn't believe we didn't get to that last week. I had a whole thing yeah. about it. The hell. But uh, it just seems too obvious in a lot of these films if you go for the high key ones. So, which I'll take low the, key? I take the Gila. I'll take his trainers. No, I don't do night trainers. You know that. You don't have to wear them. You can uh, put them in a little need. box like Ronaldinho scored in them against Chelsea. Don't want them. Uh, Jack, which uh, low key piece of memorabilia are you taking here? Skateboard? Either the skateboard. I suppose you can't really take the glory in, can you? Because that's not really low key. That's no, that's quite that's like the most high key oh. thing you could take. Mighty <laughs> yeah. um, guitar. See, it was like yeah, it's gonna have to be the skateboard because I've got in my head the radio and a hat that he uses in Back to the Future too. So yeah, it'll have to be the skateboard, I think. Might move that mic back a bit, Keenan. We can hear <laughs> every breath you're taking. I was trying to stifle a yawn. No, that's what I was hearing before. I just the yawn seemed a good time to say it. Um, and finally, if you had to make a spin-off TV series in the world of one of these films, which would it be? It's Back to the Future, easy. Strangely, they made a cartoon for both. Yeah. It's probably a first for our bracket. Probably an only, to be honest. Yeah, probably is. Mm. Um, yeah, Back to the Future for me. I mean... We, we spoke to the director of Hot Tub Time Machine asking for a uh, TV show of that, but he didn't, he didn't seem like that was going to be in the pipeline anytime soon. Um, also, if you watch Hot Tub Time Machine anytime after watching Back to the Future, you do see quite literally every scene has just been taken and like copied the homework, but uh, changed a couple of words around. So there we go. Um, does give an opportunity to talk about Back to the Future 2 in uh, round two's pod, Jack. Um, I think I'm going to watch part three this evening, so I'll let you know my thoughts on that. I've not watched it for a while. We've got Skyfall against King Arthur next week, and then Revenge of the Sith against Everest the week after. So lots more to look forward to. Things move nice and quickly. We'll be back. Goodbye.